0: You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. One of the things that is so incredible and overwhelming about God and His characteristics as our Creator is the way that not only did He think of all this, not only did He create everything that we see, but... He did so with this incredible detail, but also this incredible diversity. And in that diversity, everything that God created, he shaped and made to have its own personality, its own distinct characteristics. Even things that are are somewhat similar in nature, when we really look beneath the surface are so radically different from one another. Think about, well, think about cats and dogs, Cats and dogs essentially are the same creature. They're small, fuzzy, have four legs, mostly have tails. But then when you really get into what makes a cat a cat and a dog a dog, we see that they're light years apart to the point where we use them as polar opposites in a lot of our cliches and little sayings that we fight like cats and dogs, that we couldn't be more different if we were cats and dogs, that we even have categories of people, that there are cat people and dog people. And if I was gonna be one, which I'm not a big fan of pets in general, I love animals, but I like them out in their natural habitats, not so much in my house. The two that live in my house are really quite annoying, but if I was gonna be one or the other, I'd be a cat person because dogs have no sense of personal space or boundaries, and sometimes I just need some me time. But when we think about one of the things that I think is the most radically contradicting parts of the characteristics of cats and dogs, it's how they respond to shame And it's how they respond to doing something they know they shouldn't do. For instance, I have on multiple occasions had one of our cats jump up on a kitchen table, look me dead in the eyes, take his paw and knock a glass off the table, shattering it to pieces, never breaking eye contact. And for cats, it's almost like a sense of pride when they do something wrong that they just want to stand there and challenge you. And it's some sort of alpha dominance thing. And it's really disturbing to be quite honest, but dogs are different, right? You dog people have probably seen this before, but when a dog does something that they shouldn't do, and then you react in anger or frustration or even disappointment, their whole countenance changes, their ears drop their shoulders sag, their tail goes between their legs and they make noise. It actually changes their entire posture to feel that shame and that guilt. And that's the kind of language that the Bible uses and actually warns us against as followers of Christ, to not be ashamed, to not shrink back, And not just when it comes to being ashamed of the things that we've done, knowing that Christ has taken our shame and our guilt and nailed it to the cross. But even more importantly than that, not being ashamed of Jesus and his gospel. As Jesus was walking and teaching, he warned about denying him or being ashamed of him. And that if we were ashamed of him, when he stands before God, he would be ashamed of us as well. Paul says over and over again, I'm not ashamed of the gospel and calls those who read his words to feel the exact same way. The writer of Hebrews says, we are not the kind of people that shrink back, but we are not ashamed of the gospel. And as Paul continues discipling Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy, after his introduction that we read last week, he moves into a call to boldness and a commandment for Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel. And so this morning, that's exactly what we're going to look at, how we, as followers of Christ, can answer the p- call that Paul gave to Timothy and follow that example of both Timothy and Paul of standing bold for the gospel and continuing our work of gospel-shaped ministry, no matter what, may come against us. And so we're going to look this morning at 2 Timothy 1, through 8-18. And the word of God says this, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has been made manifest through the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, we do thank you that you were not so ashamed of us and our sin that you would withhold your grace, but you poured it out and lavished it on us through Jesus who took our shame on the cross and exchanged it for righteousness and life everlasting. So Father, forgive us for the times when we act like we're ashamed of you, whether due to pride or fear. God, help us to be the kind of people who don't shrink back, but who endure and stand boldly for the sake of your gospel. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So there are things in life that we learn and then never return to. For me, one example of that would be chemistry. Chemistry. I took chemistry in high school. I did, I was there. I was at least physically present for chemistry class all the way through, if not totally emotionally, mentally and spiritually present. But I took it and I learned things and I passed it and I learned things about chemistry that I have not thought about since my junior year in high school. I learned it because I needed to check that box. Because when you were looking at the course schedule and all the things that I needed, chemistry was on there. And so to get out of high school, I had to take chemistry. So I took chemistry, checked the box, and then moved on. And maybe you have some things like that in your life too whether it's classes that you've taken in school or things that you've learned because just the social construct of our world says, these are things that you have to learn, things that you have to go through, things that you have to figure out, but then you can take the information in and just flush it and move on. And sometimes, while maybe we don't speak about it so boldly as I did with chemistry, that's how we treat the gospel. It's something that we learn because we need it. That as we're going to say in our confession, just like we have the past few weeks, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again, that anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved and have everlasting life. We learn all those things. We memorize all those things. We check all of those boxes. And then we start to look around and feel like, okay, got the basics, figured that out. Now, where do I go from here? But that wasn't how Paul viewed the gospel Let's think about what we learned about Timothy. Timothy had a legacy of faith. He was instructed on the gospel through his mother and through his grandmother, and they poured that into his life. And then Paul came along as a mentor in the faith and adopted him in as a spiritual son and continued building on that foundation and teaching him about the gospel. But not only that, then Timothy steps into a place where he's leading the church at Ephesus and teaching others about the gospel. And so even though Timothy, as Paul is writing to him is a younger man in the faith, he is still a very mature believer when it comes to his understanding and his faith in the gospel. Now, when we look at the rest of the New Testament, where Paul writes so much of it, when Paul writes these letters to the churches, it's understandable that if it's a church that's predominantly young Christians— who have left a life of paganism and don't have the, the rooted foundation in the truth of the Bible as some other followers of Jesus did, then of course he would start with a basic understanding of the gospel. And some of these churches that have turned away from the gospel and started following false teaching, of course he's gonna go back to the ABCs of the gospel. When it's a church that's suffering, it makes sense that he would go back and remind them of the gospel. But for Timothy especially in this second letter that he's writing to Timothy, surely there's something else that Paul is going to go. Surely he's going to move past the entry level things and move on to the next level of classes. But nope. In verse 8 through 10, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then listen, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For Paul, it's always about the gospel. No matter how long someone's been walking with Jesus, no matter how mature, no matter what position of leadership they may find themselves in, Paul says, before we move on, you need to remember this. That God is the one who saved us and he's called us to this holy calling. He's called us out of sin, out of darkness and into marvelous light. And he says, just so you remember, it's not by your works. It's not by what you've done, but it's by grace and grace alone. You can't work your way to Jesus. You never could have. So Jesus came to where you were, Timothy. You know this, but let me remind you, Jesus came and met you where you were and saved you by his grace as a free gift. And now that same Jesus abolished death and is bringing about life and immortality in your life. And he does that through the gospel. And as we read this, it could be very easy to look at this as an introduction It could be easy to treat this like maybe you've treated some of your favorite shows on Netflix over the past few weeks as we've been in quarantine, where you get to that part where they say last time on and you're like, oh man, I know this because it wasn't last week when I watched this. It was five minutes ago when I watched this. And so I'm just going to skip past all of this. And we can look at this little section here and say, oh, this is just the last week on for Timothy. He's just given us the reminder and the rundown. I'm just going to skip past this. I'm just going to fast forward through this. But this isn't a place to fast forward, but it's a place for all believers to hit that pause button and to go back and to immerse ourselves in the truth of this gospel. It can be easy, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, to hear the calling in scripture to move beyond the elementary things and to become mature believers in Christ as a way of saying, okay, I've got the ABCs, I've got the boxes checked for the entry-level stuff here, and now I need to move on to the deeper truths. I know this basic stuff about grace and grace alone. I know this stuff about Jesus abolishing death and moving on, so now I need to know the big boy stuff or the big girl stuff when it comes to the gospel. But maturation in the gospel doesn't mean moving past the foundation. But in fact, it means that we just continue to dig deeper and strengthen that foundation in our lives. As we grow in maturity, we should be growing in a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of what it means that God saved us. Of what it means that God has called us to a holy and beautiful calling in Christ Jesus, made us new and made us alive in him. And that it wasn't because of what we did, but because of what Jesus did for us. And he not only saves us in the here and now, but he has abolished death for his believers. And then to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And this hope that we have of an eternity with a resurrection like his, all of these things should be near and dear to our heart. Something that we pour into ourselves day after day after day and never taking it for granted. Never assuming it to be a given, but fanning that flame daily, igniting the passion and being daily rooted in the gospel. Because if we can ever expect to not be ashamed of the gospel, it's only going to be because we are deeply rooted in the gospel. But of course, as we dig deeper in the gospel, we find out that it's not all roses, is it? Otherwise, why would there even be a warning about being ashamed? If the gospel was this ticket to prosperity and health and and wisdom, and that our lives would be just so smooth rolling once we trusted in the gospel, there would be no reason at all to feel fear or to shrink back or to be ashamed of the gospel. Because if it's just a party and everything is always perfect the way we want it to be, no one's going to be ashamed of that or afraid of that. But think think about the disciples. As Jesus called the disciples, there was an eagerness there. They dropped their fishing nets on the shore. They left their families. They left their occupations. And they followed after Christ. And they were willing to go anywhere that Jesus went. They were willing to do anything Jesus called them to do. They were going out with boldness, proclaiming the kingdom of God and coming back to Jesus, telling him all the things that were happening as they were proclaiming the gospel throughout the region. But then as the road got a little closer to Jerusalem that eagerness began to wane. And as that road in Jerusalem led them to the cross, what at one point in time was eagerness and passion turned into fear, turned into shame, and it turned into outright denial to the point where only one of these inner circle disciples and just a couple women sat at the cross while all the others hid, and denied Jesus outright. And there's a bit of that truth in all of our lives at times. When we first put our faith in Jesus, there's almost a faith-filled naivety That is just so exciting and so impassioning to recognize the truth of the gospel. that The God that created the universe and made cats and dogs so weirdly different. The God who put the colors in the grass loved me enough that he would save me by his grace. And not because of anything that I've done, but in spite of all the things that I've done, he loved me and he saved me. And there's just this boldness to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But then once reality begins to set in and the deeper we go, the more we see the gospel's beauty, but also the more we recognize its cost. In verse 11, Paul talks about its beauty. He says all this, all this goodness of the gospel. He says, it was so I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Paul's saying, God called me out of who I was and made me something new and gave me this responsibility to be a bearer of the gospel And it's beautiful and it's awesome. But in verse 12, he talks about the cost. He says, which is why I suffer as I do. And it's important to notice here that Paul doesn't say that I received this gospel and I'm also suffering. He doesn't say I have the gospel. I have my salvation and I also happen to be suffering. But thank goodness I have the gospel to help me through it. No, Paul says, I have this amazing gospel and salvation given to me by God. And that is the reason why I'm suffering. That is why I'm in chains. I am suffering for the gospel. And we're reminded here that the gospel is not a ticket to an easy, pain-free life. But on the contrary, Paul, just like Jesus, reminds us that the gospel, it is highly likely to be the reason that at some point in time, we as followers of Jesus suffer. And so we have to know the gospel's true implications. That there is a cost on the other side of following Jesus. But just like the gospel isn't a ticket to an easy, pain-free life, it's also not being thrown down a well without a rope. Because look what Paul says here. He says, this gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but. He says, but I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says, I know I'm suffering for the gospel, but my suffering, as he says in the book of Romans, is very small compared to knowing Christ Jesus. And not only that, no matter how much I suffer, I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to disappear, but I am going to stand firm and I am going to stand bold, not because I'm a strong guy, not because I have all the answers figured out, not because I have a high pain tolerance or discomfort tolerance. He says, I am not going to shrink back because I know whom I have believed. He says, I'm not shrinking back because I know Jesus and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says, I know the power of the resurrection. I know the power of my Jesus. I know all that he's done for me. And I know, as he says in, the, in, in other parts of the New Testament, that he who began the work will complete it, that I'll be able to run the race of endurance, that I'll be able to finish the prize because of God's grace that has been given to me. And as Peter tells us, that, that our faith is being guarded and entrusted, our inheritance is being protected by Jesus. And Paul says, so I don't care. I don't care what's going to come of me right here and right now. I'm not going to be ashamed because I know my Jesus is bigger than my chains. And so Paul is going to stand firm in boldness. And we need to remember as well that the same salvation that calls us into the mire at times, The same salvation that calls us into difficult seasons and circumstances. The same salvation that calls us into hard gospel driven work is the same salvation that is shaping us and securing us for eternity. And even when times are difficult, we can remember that our Christ is stronger and that we don't have any reason to fear, that we don't have any reason to shrink back from the calling that he's given us, but we can stand bold. It's the confidence and the certainty that Paul has in Jesus that enables him to suffer well and not shrink away from this difficult calling. And that same spirit, that same salvation that Paul has, has been given to us as well. But again, this is why it's so important to know the gospel and to preach the gospel to ourselves day after day after day in its most simple terms. Because without a deep knowledge of the gospel, we can't trust the gospel this well. And so we have to know the gospel so we can trust the gospel so that we can stand bold and firm for the gospel. And so Paul tells Timothy, know that gospel well, be rooted in that gospel Hear what I'm saying. Don't be ashamed of my chains either because I know the Christ who has sent me. And then Paul gives Timothy an invitation to follow him into that same suffering. He says, don't be ashamed of my testimony about the Lord nor me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But he's already given Timothy everything he needs for that journey. In verse 13 and 14, Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You know, every Sunday we talk about the importance of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And here Paul calls Timothy to live in spirit and in truth. And we've talked so many times about the temptation to put spirit and truth on two polar opposite sides of the faith. And so you have word-based Christians and spirit-led Christians. You have word-based churches and spirit-led churches. And then maybe sometimes over the course of our journey with Jesus, we swing back and forth and back and forth, sometimes being rigidly dedicated to sound doctrine and, and deep theological studies. And then sometimes swinging over to a more free feeling existence of following after the spirit. When in reality, the Bible reminds us that those two things cannot be separated. We can't have word without the spirit and we can't have spirit without the word. And when Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians, when he tells us to put on the full armor of God, our one weapon of offense is a sword. He says, take up the sword of the spirit. That is the word of God. And it's the spirit that moves through the word and the word is brought to life through the spirit. And so when it comes to endurance, when it comes to not shrinking away, we have been given everything that we need. The only way for us to live well and to suffer well and to guard the deposit, as Paul says, is to fully rely on both the pattern of sound doctrine and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We have all that we need to be fully armed to do the work that Christ has called us to do. And we've been equipped for the gospel through the spirit and the word. And why would we ever settle for less or some halfway facsimile facsimile of the two? We need to be the kind of people and the kind of church that is passionate about sound doctrine not falling into false teaching, but diving into the word and constantly going back to what the word has taught us to make sure that we're sitting underneath sound teaching and to follow after that pattern of sound theology. But also we need to be the kind of people who are praying passionately for the spirit's guidance so that we can be conformed and renewed and restored by the reading of God's word and our minds and our hearts led through his word. And then we're able to take the step of faith as the spirit leads us wherever he calls us to go and not have any fear at all, but step out on faith, knowing that as we trust the word of God, the spirit will take it, teach it to our hearts and lead us where we're called to follow. All of these things are necessary to keep us from falling back into a spirit of fear, to be rooted in the gospel, to know the cost, but be willing to step anyway. And the only way that we can do that is by being reminded daily of the truth of God's word, the power of the gospel, and to trust in the spirit's leading and protection everywhere that we go. But there's a little more in this passage, right? Verse 15 through 18, he says, You were aware, of all who were in Asia and they turned away from me among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes may the lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains but when he arrived in Rome he searched for me earnestly and found me may the lord grant him to find mercy from the lord on that day and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus now this passage could seem a little bit out of place Why is Paul now jumping in to lauding some of the people in the church and then also calling out some of the people in the church? In the middle of all this talking about not being ashamed of the gospel, why is he jumping into name dropping? Well, the answer is pretty simple. When it comes to not being ashamed, community is key. Now I told this story really briefly in our community group Thursday night. I don't even know how it came up. I haven't thought about it in a while. But I remember the exact moment in elementary school when I figured out that I didn't dress cool. And I wasn't very cool in part because of the clothes that I wore. And I didn't really figure this out. Someone let me know this. Because I was having a conversation with just a friend of mine and then this guy that I was friends with in fourth grade walked up to me, this is now fifth grade, and passed by me, talked to the guy that I was talking to and said, hey man, why are you talking to this guy? He's not cool. And I was like, huh, I've never thought that before. Thanks for enlightening me. And then he began to talk about why I wasn't cool, including my genes. Now, in elementary school, I was very passionate about a certain kind of genes. I really loved bugle boy jeans that instead of having a normal opening at the bottom where your feet come out, they had elastic at the bottom that cinched it up to your ankles. And that was the first moment I realized, apparently these are not cool jeans. And I became incredibly aware of the fact that my jeans weren't cool. And I became ashamed of the pants that I was wearing and was Constantly aware of the fact that I didn't fit in or belong. But if you would have grabbed fifth grade Chris by his very large head and transported him through time to about, we'll say, 2016 or 2017, a fashion trend moved to the world of the younglings where they were all wearing jeans and khaki pants that looked normal, except there was one difference. At the bottom, they had elastic bands that cinched the leg opening to your ankles and they called them joggers. And I just called them fifth grade bugle boy jeans. And had fifth grade Chris been moved to 2017, there would have been a confidence and a boldness because I would be rocking joggers, not uncool bugle boy jeans. And I would have been able to wear those jeans with boldness. It helps to have a community around you to be able to live out that kind of boldness. And the same thing is so much more true for the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, You know, all of Asia has turned away from me. And then he calls out two by name Phigelus and Hermogenes. He says, They've turned their back away from me. And maybe you've experienced this before, but especially when it comes to the gospel, when you feel rejected or that someone's not supporting you, it can immediately cause you, if you take a step out of faith and want to take a bold step for the gospel, but then you look and no one is with you. And maybe even people have turned their back on you. Maybe that boldness lasts for a moment, but then it's very easy to just want to shrink back. But then Paul talks about Onesiphorus who in my two-column Bible, his name comes to the end of a column and is hyphenated. And it's very difficult to read Onesiphorus with a hyphen in the middle of it. But Onesiphorus, he wasn't ashamed of Paul. He came and hunted Paul down in Rome and wanted to share with him in his sufferings. And Paul says that he often refreshed me because he wasn't ashamed of my chains. And so when we take that step of boldness for the gospel, and then we realize that not only are other people with us, but that we're linked arm in arm with gospel passion, and driven in and boldness, then it's easy to not be ashamed when we stand together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another so that we can endure. We need one another so that we can stand, not ashamed of the gospel, but boldly doing the hard work that Christ has called us to do. But this means we need to ask ourselves a really important question. I need to know, am I a Phagellus or an Onesiphorus? Are you a Hermogenes being a burden on others, rejecting your brothers and sisters in Christ, constantly putting them down and squelching the Spirit's work in their life and tampering the goodness of the gospel in their life and causing them to feel that rejection and shame? Or are you an Onesiphorus? who comes beside your brothers and sisters in Christ and holds them up when they can't hold themselves up and stands beside them when they're feeling ashamed or overwhelmed and doing the work of Christ together with those that God has put in your life. We need to follow the pattern of Onesiphorus and stand for and with one another in our times of need. The gospel is good news and there is no reason Gospel shaped, gospel saved people to ever shrink back, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of oppression. We can stand firm and boldly declare the good news of the gospel and go about the work of loving Christ with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, of loving our neighbors, ourselves, of caring for the poor and the destitute and the broken, and proclaiming the good news that King Jesus is coming to save his people, and proclaiming the good news of Christ living crucified, buried, and resurrected in the hope that comes in that truth. And so let's preach the gospel to ourselves and one another daily, never neglecting the basics, but diving deeper in the truth of what it means that God loved the world that he gave his only son. Let's count the cost of the gospel and following Jesus and be willing to go anyway but to recognize that we don't go alone, but we go with the hope and the promise that Christ is guarding our inheritance for us and that he has given us the word and the spirit to lead us each and every day through life. But not only that, but he has surrounded us with brothers and sisters in Christ, with a church family and a church all over the world that stands bold side by side with us so that we can all be unashamed of the gospel, not shrinking back, like ashamed dogs, but standing bold, proclaiming the good news of Christ with every breath, with every motion until we breathe our last. Father God, we just thank you and praise you. Again, that you were not ashamed of us. Forgive us for the times when we've shrunk back individually, as a church, as Christians all around the world. God, I pray that you give us a boldness that comes through just a repetitive knowledge of the gospel. God, I pray that you make us full aware that at times the gospel can bring suffering or we can suffer for the sake of the gospel, but that we would be willing to stand anyway, knowing in whom we've placed our trust and being confident that Jesus is protecting our inheritance and that he has conquered death. And has given us life everlasting. God, that we would be so firmly rooted in sound doctrine and in the truth of your word. But also so desperately dependent on the spirits leading and guiding in our lives. And father, that you would help us to do all of that together as we feel very isolated now, remind us that we are not alone. And that even though we may be communicating through text messages and videos, that we are still standing with and for one another. So God, make this a generation that boldly stands for the gospel in light of all things. And remind us that you've not called us to be a people who shrink back, but who stand firm in your truth. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.